0: well designed and executed properly. A modern legal department with a really fully functioning operations program is exactly what companies need to cope with uncertainty and curtailed budgets.
1: Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with operations and technology thought leaders from across the legal ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host Jen McCarron. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On today's episode, I'm joined by Anya Lyons from VMware and Kamala Vasagam from NBC Universal. Anya serves on the board of Clock and is vice president and deputy general counsel, global legal strategy and operations at VMware. Cami serves as senior vice president and chief counsel, global legal operations and innovation at NBC Universal. We'll be talking about how we got here, our career journeys into legal ops, and reflecting on the skills needed to drive success, not only in your legal ops role, but also in the industry. Anya, Cami, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for the invite. I'm excited to tell our stories. Hi, Jen. Happy to be here. So we're talking about how we got into the legal ops field. Let's open up how multidisciplinary this field is and our formulas for success. Where do we draw from? We have various backgrounds. We've each worked in different industries. Let's dig into this formula throughout the whole podcast. But Cammy, I'm going to start with you. Tell us how you got into legal ops and some of those skills for success.
2: So interesting story. I worked with my current boss, Kim Harris, general counsel at NBCU, when we were both at the White House during the Obama administration. And truly, there is no better place to get a sense of whether you enjoy working with someone. So when Kim floated the idea of this new position at NBCU, my initial driver was to work with her again because she's incredibly smart and fun. I'll admit that I had never heard of legal operations before and it sounded slightly like a made up job, but I had been a general counsel at a federal agency and I had a staffer who I now realize functioned in a quasi legal operations role. So I went to New York, I met with some of the other senior execs at the company and that was it. I didn't know legal ops or media and entertainment but I knew this was the type of role worth pivoting for. I will admit, however, that I took some flack from my attorney friends about you know, deviating from the standard lawyer path. But uh, not only am I enjoying the challenges of legal operations, but I truly believe I'm an even better attorney because of the experience that I've had in this area.
1: From the White House to legal ops in a major media company talk about a diverse background. Well, it's been an interesting journey. We're going to get more into your journey. I'm going to swing the same question over to Anya. Where did the legal ops journey begin for you?
0: Similar to Cammy, I was not aware of legal ops as a career. So when my GC called me and said, "Would you like to build a legal ops function?" My first response was no. <laughs> you know, I was fearful of leaving A secure, well established GC role and leaving that traditional career path to embrace uncharted frontiers. And I was reticent, being totally honest. You know, before I really gave a hard no, I wanted to find out more because I was intrigued. And I decided to locate some pioneering legal ops people, which is how I joined the original Clock Book Club in San Francisco. And Pick their brains on the role and what it really meant. And when I realized that they were solving really real and tangible problems for GCs, I understood that this was going to be a very strategic and pivotal role. So I decided to embrace the challenge. And although I had no formal finance or operational skills, I have now become an evangelist for legal ops. And I think any modern legal department should really consider, if they do not already have one, have a legal ops function.
1: I think there's a common thread between you both and knowing you both and knowing our work is a desire for problem solving. Cami, you were in a legal environment, Anya in one, but having these opportunities now to go into full on problem solving mode using your law degrees, but all parts of your brain and person. Would you say that's true, Kami?
2: Absolutely. I mean, again, There is that common thread of problem solving throughout. I mean, we're fixers, right? That's what ends up happening in legal operations. Yeah. Is you take the process, you break it down, you look for the pain points and you try to build better.
1: Yeah. I relate to you both in that problem solving, passionate for it. I'm a fixer. For me, getting into legal ops started as a two-day temp placement when I was between other fields. I had some tech background and education, and I worked on various parts of the software development lifecycle. But then I took a detour out as a musician for several years, took a two-day temp placement back in an office, and I started hyper-organizing, administrating the front and back end of an office at a company called Tanberg. It was a billion-dollar tech startup that did video conferencing equipment of the future. They were Norwegian headquartered, but in New York, I had that office singing in two days. And the general counsel and the small legal team of two there saw it and said, why don't you stay for two weeks? You seem interesting. You seem capable. So I renewed. I wasn't doing anything with music at the moment. And this was 2008. This was the fall of 2008 which we know is that major economic financial crash of the markets. Things were in disarray, so it was a tough time in transition. So I just kept renewing my temp placement. And at two months, they said, look, you can do anything, we think. You know all the tech of everything we're doing. Why don't we hire you? And my first offer came from the general counsel at Hamburg, and my title was paralegal slash contracts compliance manager slash Contracts. This is a real title. Contracts manager slash anything we need with technology slash asterisk anything else. And I was like, whatever you want to call me, I'm in. The future is technology. I love the video product. So stayed. Fast forward nine months Cisco Systems Inc. acquires Timber and absorbs me up into Cisco after a two-year acquisition integration. Showed up at the gates there and said, okay, what can I do with Cisco? They showed me a few doors. Legal operations and tech was one of the three doors. Steve Harmon, VP of legal ops and tech at Cisco was there at the time in a mature function. And I said, I can solve problems. This is my crew right here with technology and process, et cetera. So I went in there And I haven't stopped since, and it's 2020. Do you have a smaller business card? Yeah, seriously, it was a very wide business card. But I always say Cisco was really where I got an MBA in legal ops. I put my head down there for five years at least. Every system, every data set, every problem from compliance through legal. I saw it. I learned it. I laughed. I cried. I grew. I found the bug and there were light bulb moments in there, which takes us to our next question. I want to get an understanding. When was that light bulb moment for you each where this went from being a prospect? You were speculative. You entered and started embracing it but when did it really click and you saw the career path and endless mountains and challenges in front of you to climb? I'll start with you, Anya. When was that moment? I've had so many moments because
0: it's such an incredible area and there's so much opportunity. But one that really sticks out is I was leading a workshop in Paris with 25 GCs. And the idea was that we would talk about you know some of the challenges they were facing and initially, they were all really reticent about sharing any information, and I guess being vulnerable in front of their community of GCs. But one of them started to tell a story about how his CEO and CFO had brought in a third party to measure you know, the legal department and look at giving them a target and that sort of opened up the floodgates. And lots of GCs piled on with different challenges that they were having and how the role of GC was changing and evolving and the expectations from the executive suite was more that they would not just give legal advice, but be these influencers and be a business leader and, you know, driving transformation. And that evolutionary was on the one hand, an opportunity, but on the other hand, increased pressure for them. And we talked about how leveraging tech and analytics and alternative providers across the ecosystem were things that they really wanted to do, but not having many of them dedicated people to do that, you know, it was all on their shoulders. And that moment I realized, you know, first they all had shared challenges. Secondly, it was even more opportunity for legal ops roles to be created in the in-house legal arena. And also that this was not a competitive area. This was an area where we all could share best practices to make us all go faster and accelerate our progress together. And That was also with my clock hat on was a real impetus for me to really lean in to get involved more in clock because that power of collaboration is really what I think makes the clock community very special. It really does end up being that differentiator for many of us being able to lean on our colleagues and learn from each other.
1: It is totally the differentiator and my light bulb moment in this career path also came by way of the clock community. It was when I took my legal ops knowledge management program out and presented it in front of the community. It was years and years of just heads down, data scrubbing, vision, planning, road mapping, Road showed it once. And it was like I was shut out of a cannon. And I've learned that I need the community to test ideas against, validate ideas, seed things. And When I saw how they saw my program that was designed at Cisco, things took a whole different shape than when I was just internal at Cisco. Cami, how about for you, did CLOCK and the community have a role in any of your light bulb moments or did it happen on another course?
2: It probably happened on a slightly different course. Just prior to discussing the legal operations role at NBCU, I had had coffee with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And in the course of that conversation, he noted I was one of the more operational attorneys he'd met and asked whether I would ever be open to leaving the law completely. So I was somewhat horrified at the idea since the law was such a part of my identity. But since I respected his take on talent, it opened my mind to the idea of taking my legal experience in a more business-oriented direction. But I don't know if I would have been as open to this job if I hadn't had that conversation around the same time I was approached to take on a legal operations role. But I've learned since then to be more open to pivoting in unexpected ways, and serendipity clearly played a role. I very much sensed at the time that legal operations would be critical to legal practice, and that urgency is one of the primary reasons that it's so rewarding. And one of our mantras for legal operations is the whole concept of, quote-unquote, at the speed of business, because with the rapidly changing business, legal, and tech landscape, I believe it's going to be hard for legal departments to keep up without legal operations as a foundational element. And with so much change, options for careers in the legal space will be and are dramatically different than when I graduated from law school. Plus, the competencies learned in the legal ops space have application to so many different types of careers, not just legal. But I will say one of the benefits is when I first attended the clock conference and realized that there were so many similarly situated people in terms of how they were approaching these problems. And it's been so lovely to make so many friends within that community. And I agree. It is a community of support, no doubt.
0: Yeah. And I just want to build on what Cami said, because, you know, initially in those early days, I was worried that my lawyer community would see me as leaving the law behind, moving into legal operations. But now I have so many people who approach me to say, tell me more about legal ops. This is an area that I really would like to get into. Even our interns are much more interested in legal operations than I ever would have imagined. They see it as sort of a career of the future.
1: Cammy, what did your lawyer, peers and friends think of the career shift into legal ops?
2: Well, I think that, you know, having been a general counsel, that people thought I was going to take a, a more traditional role subsequently. And so this was a bit of a surprise. But I think at many of the companies and even law firms where a lot of those folks are now, they have roles like this within them. So it does kind of bear out that perhaps that thinking was a little bit ahead of the curve. I'm not going to say that I planned for it to be that way. Like an interesting challenge. So it certainly paid off.
1: I'd go as far as to say we are ahead of the curve. We've been a part of an initial wave of legal ops and the professionalization of that, especially around the clock group and membership community where we are and where we're going. I'd love to jump back. So we talked about getting into the role. We talked about when it started to click and become clear that this was a path for you to stay on and the communities that helped us see that. So I'd like to go back a bit further and get an understanding from you both on what you wanted to be when you grew up. Kami, I'll start with you. Was it a legal ops professional?
2: I'm going to have to say no on that one. So my father was a doctor. And he had high hopes I was going to follow in his footsteps, but my subpar math skills nixed that dream early on. As I was raised in a very socially aware family, the law seemed like a great way to make a difference in the world. Plus, one of my elementary teachers noted that I talked so much in class that I might as well get paid for it. So that kind of sealed the deal. Otherwise, I just may have ended
1: up as a house music DJ. A house music DJ. We need to make this happen at some point. I need to see Cami on the turntables.
0: <laughs> I see a clock conference where, Jen, you're on music, sound, band. Yep. We've got Cami <laughs> on
1: DJ. Yeah, I feel like that time may have
0: passed.
1: You're eternally young, Cami. You can learn these things at any point.
0: That's legal ops. You just learn new skills all the
1: time. True. That's incredibly true. Another hat. Reinvent yourself. So you took this talent, this elementary school teacher note, you talk a lot a socially conscious family and high expectations and took it to law school to become an attorney. Anya, how about you? What were some of your early thoughts? What did you want to be when you grew up?
0: I always wanted to be an attorney. I think at 10, I saw the district attorney, Joyce Davenport on Hill Street Blues, and she emerged amid this sea of men. And she was sort of cool and calm and sophisticated. And I thought, gosh, I think I'm interested in being a lawyer. And it just stuck. I was also seeing her as a strong woman, really self-assured and well-respected in a man's world. And she always spoke up for people who were less privileged. And somehow that stayed with me and that became what I wanted to be. And I just focused on that ended up going to law school.
1: That is amazing. I, Which we'll talk about in another moment. I am not an attorney. I never dreamt of becoming an attorney. And as a kid, I did two things really well. I drew cartoons and I made people laugh. Those are some talents I carry forward. Even in my legal ops role, I just drew a cartoon at work as an introduction to our knowledge management presentation because I thought I have to differentiate myself against the other presenters in this series. That that was really fun and an all night affair for two weeks. And then laughter, engagement, it's connection that helps in any setting in life to make people laugh. You get to the core of, of each other more quickly. Always had a business bend, always had a creative bend. So I found myself in business and tech roles early in career. Creativity finds a path in tech. So I just kept going and kept going. And yes, there was a music detour, But all of this plays into what I think we're hitting on here. It is multidisciplinary legal ops. There's so much in so many places for all of those skill sets to shine and be utilized. The occasional illustration cartoon or put some music to things that I'm presenting on. It works.
0: You were meant for legal ops, Jen. I was meant for it. Creative solutions is exactly what we need and have to come up with every day in the job.
1: There's sort of a juxtaposition there. Like someone would think of legal, the industry, it's a 170 year old institution and it's go, oh, like really? And yes, really, there's so much room for innovation and change and creating friction and tension to build new things because of its sort of legacy there and timeline. So I find endless creative opportunity here. This next question, I'm going to get a little bit into skills and talents. When we think about inclusion, our backgrounds, different personality types, skills, talents that lead to meaningful work and create a positive impact to the company, to the world. What do you each believe are the top skills needed for a professional to thrive in legal operations? I just ran through a set of creative skills, and that would be my immediate answer. It helps look at all of these problems through a different lens that sometimes defies logic, which I think innovation often does. Anya, I'll start with you. Tell me three things you feel are imperatives for success in legal ops.
0: I think a really good legal ops professional needs to be a fearless, relentless hustler. And I say that because the skills and the debate about lawyer versus business background both work, but I think it's those emotional intelligence competencies that really make the difference. And when I say fearless, I mean someone who's willing to challenge the status quo and make people have a conversation about why we've always done it that way and help them imagine a new future and then being relentless because in this job, we all know there's no finish line. You've got to absolutely turn ideas into reality and relentlessly execute to make progress and then have that powerhouse of tenacity to drive the change and measure it and keep going because If transformation was easy, everyone would be doing it. Sure. And the hustler, you know, influencing, being that translator between the business and legal, having organizational savvy, being inclusive, collaborative, influencing across IT, HR, finance and in legal and across the legal staff to make sure that people get behind the change and resolve their differences and align on a position, lock and move forward.
1: So those are the three I would call out. Yeah. Those are amazing. Cami, anything there resonating with you? Much of it describes you, but tell me what resonates <laughs> Absolutely. <for> you. Wow.
2: <laughs> that is complimentary because I totally agree with all of the things that Anya just said. If I had to be limited to just three, I would say strong emotional intelligence, resilience, and a sense of humor. Because there are going to be times where the groups that you're trying to roll out this change with are not necessarily going to be ready for it at that specific time. And you may have to pull back, reflect, and then try again. And so having a sense of humor and patience, all of those types of things, I think is critically important. I mean, the ability to design and align the delivery of legal services with business strategy, table stakes. And my guess is that those competencies will remain the same in 2030. Technology, on the other hand, will be wildly different. So it will be critical to have the comfort and the ability to keep up with the latest tech innovations.
1: Strategy, roadmaps, that's operations table stakes. But how do we transform an industry that is older than us, that is on its own evolutionary path and create friction? I mean, we're going against. Transformation is about going against. So I love these points. I'm just going to grab hold of one thing that Anya said around being translators. I feel, you know, when we go and work with an HR to a finance team, for me, I'm going to a product or engineering team even. That is a lot of context switching in a day. So not only do I have to be a translator of the business needs of legal to them, I have to know how to communicate with them and shapeshift my communication skills. I think that also goes back to both of your points on emotional intelligence is knowing who your audience is and calibrating your communications to get the job done, to get the solution going, to get the problem mutually understood. It's a real challenge for me every day. And I thrive off that. It's
2: the storytelling aspect.
1: Tell me more about that.
2: Well, I think that going to those different audiences, and when you think about legal operations, it starts out of legal, but there are enterprise impacts as well. Absolutely. Enormous amount of stakeholders that have to be on board and the connections between them, that connective webbing, if you will. And I think the storytelling is really critical. If you can't tell the story simply in a way that people understand how their equities are going to be met in the moment, then you may have to reconfigure.
1: Yes.
0: That's such an important point because you also have to align what legal is doing to the company's story and strategy and telling how legal is Part of delivering that is a really powerful way to demonstrate legal's value. Uh, we really have to do it and continue to do a really good job at that, relating what legal does to what the business success is.
1: Absolutely. And being able to tell that story to various audiences. At all levels. At all levels and engage them with all of the things, the tools we're talking about. I gave a presentation to finance ops. At Netflix, it talked a lot about the future and where we were driving this one particular product. And one of the senior leaders in finance set up a follow up with me on that. And he was like, Your passion and your storytelling to take us there. He was just enamored by it and so intrigued by this new function he hadn't really heard about at Netflix yet or at other companies. And I find often in our work, I don't know if you both experienced this, finance is our number one <laughs> fan. When they when we come along, they go, thank the heavens for these people, because what they do is going to benefit. It's going to make their jobs literally easier. So talk about not just working for legal, but legal works for the company and serves the whole business. So therefore, we service the whole business as well. Absolutely. Anya, I heard you bring this up earlier, the great JD debate. <laughs> yeah. Does one need a JD, a law degree, a professional law degree to be successful in a legal ops role? Anya, I'll start with you.
0: Yeah, I don't think, Jen, the role requires a law degree. There are pros and cons to coming to the role with either a legal or a business discipline. I think the optimal, obviously, is somebody has both legal yeah. and business acumen. But I think, you know, there's no one size fits all. The hiring depends on the role, the GC, the legal leadership team, the department culture, the company. And what's required and what's the right fit because it's got to be a good fit with the GC because you become their right hand. Sure. And I think whether you come from either discipline, you've just got to be a quick learner and you've got to be willing to put in the research, the time and have the discipline and focus to learn new things. You know, early in my role, I spent weekends and nights researching change management, project management, technology, how to do implementations, how to influence. But, you know, That learning was also what kept me in the role because I just loved learning new things and flexing new muscles. And although it was challenging, I really found it so engaging
1: and rewarding. Tammy, where are you holding on this debate? We have one no. (laughs) So I'm
0: going
2: to give the second no, but the caveat that you do have to put the time in to understand how lawyers and legal professionals think and work within your company and industry. Because if you don't, you risk critical change management opportunities. So, being a lawyer sometimes shortcuts the process, but there's a whole host of more business centric skills that lawyers never formally learn, which are essential to success in legal operations finance, strategic thinking, project management, et cetera. I had to learn many of those on the fly during the course of my career.
1: I'm going to do a third no. It's not required with the same asterisk. Be prepared to put in three to five years of time understanding that stakeholder group. And, like I alluded to earlier, my time is at Cisco. I felt like I got that MBA in legal ops. I had three to five years in the trenches, understanding how lawyers think, how legal professionals think in the problem space really well. So unanimous. I want to shift the conversation to a little bit around wellness, self-care, staying energized for this work. It's Sisyphe and we are pushing a boulder uphill at most times. And how do we stay energized for that and keep our perspective Cammy, let's start with you. What's key to your routine?
2: So in my quest for personal balance, I manage stress by trying to put things into appropriate context, prioritizing family and friends, time outside, music. From a work perspective, I always look to combine continual process improvement with fun. I mean, our legal ops team knows that enjoying the creativity of what we do is key to our success. And that's energizing, even when it's difficult. It's kind of like the strategy of chess married to the risk and reward of poker, which probably sounds like an odd yet apt way to describe it.
1: In those moments where you're feeling maybe defeated or the challenge is too great, how do you manage?
2: Well, I think I go back to the fact that I enjoy being a continual learner. You know, I feel like boredom is a choice and failure when you have an opportunity to sit and think with it, It allows you the ability to approach things differently. And there truly is nothing boring about legal operations. It's a continuing challenge to influence people and rethink process to move the legal profession into the future. I love the entrepreneurship of legal operations. And now I realize that I truly enjoy the parts of my former positions that had that same element of reimagination in the face of challenge. And
1: truly that's the common
2: thread which continues to keep me
1: interested. Facing uncertainty, continual learning, and turning those challenging moments into opportunities for continual learning. I love it. Anya, how about for you? What's key to your routine for staying energized for this work? And what do you do in there to overcome those challenges?
0: I think this is a really important conversation because the legal ops role and also people who play that chief of staff role, that can really be a burnout role if you're not careful because there's so much to do and I've learned to rigorously prioritize and then reprioritize. I use sort of a blueprint for meetings around, you know, the important messages and what I'm trying to achieve and what the other people want from the meeting to really bring clarity to those conversations and try and also give people back time, which is such a precious commodity these days. And on a personal front, I've tried to also adopt the attitude of assuming positive intent at work with people and in general in my life and then thinking about mind, body and soul. And if I got everything in balance, I don't always have the time to exercise, but sometimes I just snack on exercise for 10 minutes or snack on meditation for 15 minutes and then not beat myself up that I didn't do more or longer and tried to just give up on expecting such perfection or those high standards, learn to be more contented and be kind to myself and really focus on those people in my life that I want them to feel seen by me so that I prioritize my time with them as well.
1: I hear you saying being contented with the progress and not holding yourself to a standard of perfection. That would be a deadly formula for this kind of work if we held ourselves to standards of perfection. My team and I were just discussing this yesterday. We get overwhelmed at work. It's a fast-moving business. We're all in fast-moving, fast-changing business lines at our companies. Sometimes you have to look back and measure your progress, like put the yardstick behind you and go, "I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm getting enough done. And I love that you touched on balance as well. For me, I seek challenges. It's my personality. We keep coming back to problem solving. So I apply that and taking great self-care, staying active. I lift heavy weights Mm -hmm. in the gym so I can lift heavy weights. In the office. I like it. The boulder. The (laughs) boulder we're going uphill with. It's my big analogy for the day. I like that one.
0: But I love what you said, Jen, about being grateful and pausing to actually celebrate your successes a little bit. You know, when I talked about Relentless, the double-edged sword to that is that you can never really allow you or your team to stop and take in what you have achieved. And I think it's important to do that. We're seed planters in a lot of ways.
2: And it might take... A length of time before we see growth, and in between, you have to yeah. continue to stay motivated,
1: yeah, until we see the harvest, and smell and the roses <laughs> exactly. Yeah, how many analogies can we put in? We're this? so competitive, One. we're almost at,
0: I think, like eight.
1: <laughs> we could do 10 before the end, Jen. Yeah, we, we could hit 10. Well, this <laughs> brings us to our last question, which is usually where we invite in all the analogies of the world to meet up with us here. How do we bring this all together? and talk about how far we've come, whether individually or professionally in this industry, where this industry has come over these past few years. If I could put legal ops in product terms, to me, it feels like it's legal ops 2.X. We're at release 2.0 that launched and we're somewhere between two and three. I wonder if 1.0 launched 10, 15 years back, even pre-dating clock, early book club days. And there were other legal ops groups starting to come together around around the globe. And every 10 years to me seems like a new release. So that's where I'm productizing us now. But Anya, where are we? Has the plane taken off? Are we back down for fuel?
0: I think that's number nine, Jen. Yeah, I think we're only getting started. You know, we're still on the runway refueling. And I think legal ops enabled by innovative GCs who embrace the role can really elevate legal's value by making us far more resilient, responsive, and agile and impactful to the businesses that we serve. I just see boundless opportunities for legal teams. If you marry the legal knowledge and expertise, the judgment with the power of data and technology, I think we can really make a difference to the executives that run many of our companies and transform how decisions are made with a different lens on risk predictive analytics. It's an exciting time, but I'm concerned that In an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty right now, you know, as we confront a global pandemic, that we could run the risk of under budget pressures falling back into these traditional approaches that we had. And I think it's even more important that we lean in more than ever to legal operations. It would just be a real mistake if we were to regress. Because well designed and executed properly, a modern legal department with a really fully functioning operations program is exactly what companies need to cope with uncertainty and
1: curtailed budgets. I love that. We can't go backwards. There is a bit of a crisis in the world between the health pandemic, the financial crisis. There's a social crisis going on as well. And we saw this in 2008. I mean, this is when my career started doubling down on this kind of a function, using technology to enable speed, the speed of business and to unlock what sometimes feels like the black box of legal. It's super manualized or paper driven. How do we unlock that and turn it to data to make this function move? as quick or quicker than the business. Cammy, take us home. Where are we?
2: So I agree with Anya that legal operations is in the refueling stage. I mean, we're standing on the shoulders of the legal ops originals that are bringing other innovators yeah. into the fold to refine and bring new ideas and energy into the legal space. And it's exciting time as we watch both legal process and technology evolve. I very much believe that companies and GCs that embrace legal operations as a foundational element of their legal department, that they'll have a competitive advantage in terms of efficient and effective delivery of legal services to their internal clients. And many the innovations in the legal space are relevant to other parts of the corporate ecosystem and I think can be easily scaled. So it's an incredibly unique vantage point. And from a career perspective, it truly opens up a world of possible tracks.
1: Infinite possibilities and abundance in front of us amidst the crises and the challenges that we've touched on. You are built for this.
0: (laughs) But Jen, you know, I don't want us to forget about also our influence and clock and in our roles because we can influence law firms, we can influence the ecosystem. And what I'm talking about is, you know, being a force for good post-COVID, there's a lot of learnings. There's also a lot of learnings around diversity. Innovation is fueled by diversity and we are not as diverse as we need to be as a legal industry. We've got to do more and we've got to hold ourselves accountable for changing some of the inherent biases that are roadblocks to some of our community progressing at the pace that they should be. So I just think there's a huge power in harnessing that human difference and we should go faster
1: to get there. Legal Operations 2020. There you have it. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jen. Thanks so much, Jen. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. I'm Jen McCarran and I'd like to thank Anya Lyons and Kami Vass again for their perspectives today. Learn more about Clock on our website, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. And stay tuned because we have a lot of new exciting content coming out. And you can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time.